hello and welcome to Fast Pass to the Past, the Theme Park History Podcast, Episode 10. Have you ever wondered what is the origin story behind your favorite attractions and theme parks? Well, you're in the right place. However, today, as is often the case, we're going to talk about things that you've likely never heard of. Hello, I'm your host, Austin Carroll. I'm a huge history nerd, a former Disneyland cast member, and a current annual pass holder at both Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood. Today's episode is a little special because we had some guest writing by Austin from Orlando, Florida, so I'm really thankful to him for making this episode a reality. We have a great show lined up for you folks today. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening as it is much appreciated. Some of you may recall our episode on the origins of Universal Orlando and how a fledgling Walt Disney World stole the studio tour concept right from Universal's grasp. I know. I was shocked too. However, today we're going to take a look at a story that is basically the total opposite. Finally, what you've all been waiting for, Universal stole a concept from Disney. Kind of. So join us along for the ride as we take a dragon ride into a very different kind of fantasy land that dominated the ideation of Orlando theme parks in the mid-1990s. In this chapter of our Lost Land series, we'll be talking about Disney World's Beastly Kingdom, Another lost flagship land of the Disney Empire that ended up being constructed just down the road in another aisle, the Islands of Adventure. Have you ever wondered what a dragon is doing on the logo of Animal Kingdom? Chances are you never even noticed it, even though it's really front and center when you look at it. The dragon actually has a long and detailed origin, one that dates back to the lost land of Animal Kingdom called Beastly Kingdom. Disney's Animal Kingdom theme park opened its doors on Earth Day, April 22nd, 1998, which means this year the park turned 20 years old. But 20 years ago, the park was the fourth to be built in the Walt Disney World Resort. It's also the largest, spreading out over 500 acres. So in case you have a trivia question about that, Animal Kingdom is the largest theme park in Walt Disney World. The park's official opening day dedication called for the park to be a kingdom of animals. Real, ancient, and imagined. A kingdom ruled by lions, dinosaurs, and dragons. Now, the opening lands, there weren't, there weren't, it wasn't that different from what currently stands today. Asia wasn't there yet, but the entrance plaza, Dino Land, USA, uh, The Oasis and Africa were all kind of there, including the conservation station, if you've ever been over to Disney's Animal Kingdom in Florida. However, when the park opened, there were certainly lions and dinosaurs, but there were no dragons. So what exactly was Beastly Kingdom? Before the park opened in 1998, Disney Imagineers were certain that the park would one day house these imagined creatures in a very impressive land called Beastly Kingdom. And that's why it was included in the dedication of the park. There were clues scattered around the park that these dragons were soon to come. In the parking lot, there is a unicorn sign. Uh, In the logo, the dragon stands right next to the other creatures, if you have seen the logo recently. And even in the 1998 McDonald's Happy Meals, they included like a dragon Happy Meal toy. Beastly Kingdom would be kind of the anchor of the Phase 2 expansion of Animal Kingdom. It never actually really came to fruition. 
it would be a massive addition to breathe new life into the park soon after its original opening. So they never really expected it to take that long to to recoup these profits and create this new expansion. Why were they waiting? Well, the park had spent about $800 million in its construction, which was more than pretty much all the other parks combined. (laughs) So they were kind of holding off on this expansion, but they really thought that it was going to happen. Basically, the land that was earmarked for this expansion was the Camp Mini Mickey land, where Avatar Land sits now. So they always thought that was kind of going to be a fantasy land. (laughs) Okay, but... That's all fine and good. There would have been fantasy characters. That's so cool, Austin. Okay, well, what would Beastly Kingdom have actually looked like? Okay, before we say it, I'm so sorry. We're about to embark on another beautiful original land based on original characters that never made it to a Disney park. I know that's been kind of a motif during our Lost Land series, and I'm so sorry. But basically, Beastly Kingdom would have been two distinct sub-lands. Upon entering the land, guests would have to choose between good and evil. Basically, there would be a dark, winding forest road and then a glimmering road of some kind to Olympian dream, basically. To the left would be a winding, dark forest. It would have been littered with the remains of charred suits of armor and, like, the steam vents... So that would have probably been really terrifying to modern-day children, but whatever. Basically, once you emerged from the forest, you would be in a medieval village of stone pubs and thatch-roof markets, all lit by flaming torches, and jagged dark rocks would be, like, everywhere. At the top of this hamlet, basically, there would be a twisted, sinister castle tower, which would be the weenie of this area of the park to use an imagineering term. Inside Animal Kingdom's first e-ticket would be there. So it would be kind of a dark ride roller coaster hybrid similar to Revenge of the Mummy at Universal, Orlando and Universal Studios Hollywood. It would basically swerve through crumbling corridors and treasure-filled rooms to reach the climax of coming face-to-face with a dragon. Now there are two pretty popular concept arts for this roller coaster. One would have the guests kind of be like bats in a suspended swinging coaster, and the other would be a more traditional inverted coaster, more along the lines of rock and roller coaster. It would have been Animal Kingdom's main thrill ride, and this was like long before Everest was even thought of. In fact, if you replace the Yeti with a dragon and the mountain with a tower, you probably have a pretty good idea of what this roller coaster would have looked like in Beastly Kingdom. However, not all in the fantasy world is evil. If you were to go down the Path of Light, which would be located to your right, you would have seen an altogether different sight, with Greek temples, lush gardens, bubbling pools of crystal water, and fields of flowers. In the Greek temples, there would have been an Animal Kingdom, It's a Small World-like attraction themed to Walt Disney's 1940s hit, Fantasia. This would be specifically the Dance of the Hours segment. You know the one with the dancing hippos and crocodiles? That one. It would have been really family-friendly and musical and beautiful. 
I have no idea why they didn't take this opportunity to include Hercules in the park because it's it's like a Greek temple and Hercules was released in 1997, so it would have been really perfect. Poor Hercules, I just want him to have a spot in the parks. If you remember, at opening, Animal Kingdom did not have any slow, family-friendly dark rides. They really didn't have any rides for children or for the family to really experience together, except, I guess, the zoo part. The second attraction in this fantasy good realm would be more complex. It would be the piece de resistance of Beastly Kingdom. It would be a massively beautiful hedge maze that would hold host to an attraction named Quest for the Unicorn. Basically, it was another interactive walkthrough that challenged guests to find and awaken five golden idols scattered throughout the maze. Each would contribute one piece of a code for unlocking the beautiful plant castle in the far end of the maze, where, as its title described, they would then have the opportunity for a very rare encounter with a unicorn. Think uh, Paris's Dungeon Dragon that they have under the castle in Paris. It would basically be a fun experience, an animatronic, and a great photo opportunity. And it's kind of a fun way for kids to piece together different clues and make decisions. I find it pretty similar to Agent P's like World Showcase Escape, something like that, that was really fun for kids at Epcot. And I feel like this would have been a kind of similar experience, but with obvious animatronics and a lot more production value. The Disney Imagineers obviously really loved walkthrough attractions between the 1960s and the 1990s. And Disneyland even opened with several, as I'm sure we talked about before. However, this sketch of a 1998 attraction would have been a pretty late ideation of them. Honestly, as cool as this unicorn and everything would have been, this probably just wouldn't have worked with the number of guests that go through Animal Kingdom and Disney World annually today. I just don't see how people waiting in line to do this walkthrough attraction would would have really worked nowadays, which is pretty sad, but possibly a reason that it didn't end up being built. What was built instead of Beastly Kingdom in the meantime, where they scrounge up the budget necessary for it, was a wonderful but little underwhelming area called Camp Mini and Mixie. Time before budget was rounded up for Beastly Kingdom, the Disney Imagineers constructed Camp Mini Mickey. This is another lost land of Disneyland, if you even want to go so far as to call it a land. It was hastily constructed, with basically just a few meet and greet hubs for meeting Safari Mickey and the like. Another standout part of this land was a small theater of bleachers for a show that repurposed old parade floats. There was also another theater with a lot of fun little strange critters and two talking trees. And it, the whole area was kind of rustic, kind of like a camp your rich friend went to in New York. There was even uh, some very good funnel cakes. And that is the best descriptor of the land that I can find on the internet. 
one of the two shows that this area hosted actually went away in 2008, and that was called The Pocahontas and Her Forest Friends Show. It was basically a modest show based on the theme park and zoo staple of animal demonstrations. Admittedly, with like Disney Flair and All the Colors of the Wind song also played. But the economic crash of 2008 caused Disney to take a hard look at its park and resort budgets for the fiscal year of 2009, which would begin in October. The clubs of Pleasure Island, which would become Disney Springs in due time, were shuttered. And the entertainment cutbacks across the resort basically resulted in uh, the final performance of Pocahontas and her forest friends in September of 2008. However, it wasn't as desolate as it seems over there in Camp Minnie and Mickey because the couple of creative Imagineers that took the floats from the defunct Lion King celebration parade at Disneyland, they also took props from the defunct Spirit of Pocahontas stage show and with the mandate to kind of provide character meet and greets, they actually produced something that was a smash hit and still runs at Animal Kingdom today, and that was a festival of the Lion King. I don't know if you guys were aware that it uses defunct parade floats, but it's probably the most successful thing to come out of the now also defunct Camp Mini Mickey. Festival of the Lion King now resides over in the Africa section as of 2014. Although Camp Mini Mickey was meant to be a temporary placeholder, it lasted almost 16 years. And as the trees grew taller, the area looked more and more like an actual mountain camp, despite the lack of real or artificial mountains. And as the years wore on, Beastly Kingdom just never materialized. And actually, I really loved Camp Minnie Mickey. I did appreciate it when I was younger. I loved the meet and greets. I love this Donald Duck statue of him, like, fishing. I have lots of photos by that statue, so I'm kind of sad that Avatar Land took over. But, yeah, it really did look like a camp. It was a really fun area. I'm sure you can find some YouTube videos. I can link to some in the show notes of Camp Minnie Mickey and its glory days. It was never really that great, but... It was it was fun and it was fun family fun in a, in a park that didn't really have that much for families when it first opened. But what if anything happened to Beastly Kingdom? Hmm, 1990s Disney. I wonder. The group of Imagineers battling to bring Beastly Kingdom to life were quick to the cut when the dismal opening of Disneyland Paris made Michael Eisner worry of any large scale investments. Imagine that. We've talked about this several times before on the podcast. Everything from Thunder Mesa to Discovery Bay to the Disneyland Skyway were a victim of the Euro Disney cutbacks. Beastly Kingdom was simply too grand. The Imagineers responsible for their concept were so fed up with Disney's cost-cutting ways during the 90s that they took their plans up the road to Disney's biggest competitor, Universal Orlando. We are proud to unveil Universal Studios' Islands of Adventure. The far corners of the world. Fantastic journeys yet to be. As Universal Studios Islands of Adventure come to life before your eyes. The almost 
unbelievable story of the lost continent, yet another lost land, is one of plot twists, intrigue, and unthinkable connections that make it clear Disney accidentally designed and then indirectly destroyed this amazing themed land. Speak of a magical world where dragons breathe fire, sorcerers practice their mystical arts, and the gods rule with ultimate power. Enchantment is in store for those who believe. Here in the Lost Continent. Lost Continent was something of a superland, comprised of three distinct segments. The Lost City, which was kind of like an Atlantis, Greek-style land that was derivative of the unicorn good side of Beastly Kingdom. This included one of my favorite walkthrough attractions of all time called Poseidon's Fury, which actually got Islands of Adventure the title as the most technologically advanced theme park among opening in 1999. And then Mythos, which was a great restaurant and had beautiful architecture, and then Sinbad's Bazaar, which was an ancient Middle Eastern marketplace, home to fragrant food, and the eighth voyage of Sinbad's show. The Mystic Fountain is still, like, the best part about this area today. And then there was Merlinwood, which was a medieval English town full of magic and legend, which was based off the ancient tale of King Arthur. And this kind of evolved from the dragon side of Beastly Kingdom. It included dueling dragons, which had a castle, skeletons of knights, and an inverted coaster theme to mythical fire-breathing reptiles, which doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, we talked about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, the best part about this coaster was the dueling function, so it put the ride vehicles basically 18 inches away from each other at the clash points. I remember being obsessed with this ride when I was younger. I was so brave. I really wanted to go on it, but I wasn't brave enough to do it by myself. And then there was, of course, Flight of the Unicorn, which kind of is a little bit derivative of the unicorn concept, but is basically just kind of a barnstormer coaster. It was my absolute favorite as a kid. I spent basically every summer at Islands of Adventure because my grandma would always take me it was obviously, I mean, come on, it was obviously derivative. We have Imagineers that worked on the project, uh, former Disney Imagineers that worked on the project and created these lands that were very similar to the plans that they had had at Animal Kingdom. So once Disney found out, oh, um, there's, a, there's a beastly kingdom basically over at Universal Orlando, it just became the fact that they couldn't possibly build another one right like 10 miles away they actually had to scrap the concept because universal had built something so similar but strangely enough it only really lasted about 10 years at islands of adventure and that's all because of this kid called harry potter i don't know if you've ever heard of that kid we'll go into this more in future episodes about harry potter world and its origins but basically rolling first approached disney to do a Harry Potter land, but due to some difficulties in coming into contract negotiations for things such as merchandise, there would basically be no Harry Potter Mickey ears. So the amount of limitations in the contract caused the deal to fall through. They thought that she would realize that no one else could give her what they could give her, and then they were um, they were wrong. And Universal Orlando, and then later Universal Hollywood, won the rights 
to produce Harry Potter World exclusively. The Potter Purchase killed two lands. It killed Merlinwood, which fell in 2009 to make way for the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Hogsmeade. Dueling Dragons became Dragon Challenge, a Triwizard Tournament reskin, and Flight of the Unicorn became Flight of the Hippogriff. The Enchanted Oak Tavern and the Alchemy Bar became the Three Broomsticks and the Hogshead. And, fun fact, the Three Broomsticks was designed and constructed in Orlando before it was ever even depicted in the films. So the film set used for the Potter film was actually based on a restaurant and not the other way around. Obviously, Disney was not thrilled. They had been beaten twice by Universal at this point, in both the construction of Beastly Kingdom, basically, before them, before they got the chance to do it, and then now with the purchase and construction of Harry Potter World, which was to great acclaim and got them millions and millions of dollars within the first couple months. So, Disney panicked, and they, they went ahead and they, they bought the next big thing, in 2009, that was Avatar, the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so, Camp Minnie Mickey, the land that was originally reserved for Beastly Kingdom, was leveled for Pandora, the world of Avatar, which opened last year. And it looks like Beastly Kingdom will forever be a lost land at both Universal Orlando and at Animal Kingdom. So that's the story of Beastly Kingdom and the Lost Continent, two amazing theme park attractions based on fantasy characters that never quite made it for to fruition, and if they did, only briefly. But they'll forever live in our memories for those that experienced the Lost Continent at Islands of Adventure. I know that was my absolute favorite land when I was a kid. I don't know, it's just, it's sad. You know, like, that that could have been one iteration or another ended up at Animal Kingdom when it opened. It's just, it's a funny, it's a funny story, though, to point out when you go to Animal Kingdom and you see the logo. And kind of just, like, imagine what was there and what could have been. I guess we just need to have faith and a little bit of pixie dust and a little bit of unicorn magic. And hope that one day fantasy creatures will be in Animal Kingdom that aren't avatars <laughs> or yetis. But we'll just have to wait and see. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this new chapter in our series, Lost Lands, and this short look into what would have been an amazing land at any Disney park, and that was my favorite land at Universal as a child. I grew up wanting to ride the Duel and Dragons coaster, although I didn't get a chance until it had been rethemed to the Harry Potter universe. And now it's gone. <laughs> Email me at fastpastthepast at gmail.com if you have show ideas, disagree with anything I said, or just want to say hi. You can find the show notes at www.themeparkhistorypodcast.com. And please leave an iTunes review if you enjoy the podcast and you want to learn more. Have a magical day! Have a magical day!